Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm Ed. And this is Create a Generation. Create a Generation of Hype. Fred, what is happening this week? This week, we are chatting to Ainsley Clouston, who is the co-creator of the web series 600 Bottles of Wine. So we had our world premiere on BBC Three on a Sunday afternoon in a binge session. Awesome. Which was huge. And it was a web series that never made it onto the web. Yet it was an epic smash hit. That's right. And that is because the BBC picked it up and aired it one Sunday Arvo and millions of people binged it on their digital network. That's right. And so I sat down with Ainsley to figure out how this happened, where she began, and to uncover that this was so much more than just an overnight success. No such thing as an overnight success. Remember, we also have Change a College, which is going to help you become an even better YouTube creator. And you can find it at changeacollege.com. That's C-H-A-N-G-E-R, college.com. Ainsley Clouston, welcome to Creator Generation. Thank you for having me. So, Ainsley, you are billed as a triple threat, really, as a writer, director, actor. Sounds impressive. It does. It's very impressive. <laughs> I can't do any of those three. Um, how, where did you start? Which one of those roles was your, your first foray into the you know, film industry? I started as an actor. So, I started – I was actually a chef before – I took off my chef outfit, put on other clothes, of course, and then um, went to an acting class on a whim and three months later moved to Sydney. Wow. Yeah, I just was hooked and then I, um, you know, studied acting part-time for a couple of years and then I picked up, um, had an idea, everyone seemed to be writing stuff, I started writing some scenes um, and then I was actually on an ad for a, yeah, an ad, and um, I was just kind of riffing, playing around during takes, and um, someone just said afterwards, oh, you know, if you ever think about doing a web series or whatever, that'd be great. And then from then I was like, well, that's an awesome <laughs> idea. Um, and then I started just developing my own stuff. Um, got a couple of things into uh, optioned and in development. Um, and then the writing and the acting just kind of sat by side by side. And then um, my friend Grace approached me and said, I've got this web series um, idea. Um, I'm looking for people to, you know, collaborate, someone to direct. Um, could you read it? And I read it and literally didn't get through the first – I'd rung her three times before I'd finished the first episode just because I had so many questions about, you know, what stuff meant. So I was just hooked. And from that point on, I was like, I have to direct this. And then I directed 600 Bottles of Wine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds very simple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so before we talk 600 Bottles of Wine, so – had you directed anything before? No, that's my first. You just decided I'm going to direct yeah. something. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked. Um, I've worked in part part time uh, in casting, so I've been in rooms and um, in a room. Sounds like really odd, but in rooms where a casting director would direct actors. So I, I learnt over the years while I was, you know, funding my acting career, um, how how to talk to actors and how to get performances out of actors through working with a casting director, um, Danny Long. She's awesome. Um, so, yeah, when I got to directing 600 Bottles, I think it was just a continuation of what I understood of acting, what I was learning and developing as a writer. And then being with Danny in the room, I was just able to see how she was communicating with people. So it was just kind of like all these skill sets combining. Awesome. And you're like, I can do that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And then I got on set and I was like, oh, maybe I can't. So – Explain 600 Bottles of Wine before we go further. Like, what is it? It's, it's about a girl. Like, it's about a girl who has um, 
just come out of a long-term relationship and she's hitting the dating scene. But it's in the new age of Tinder and online dating, which is a different beast. Um, and what we really kind of hone in on is something like we've coined it as the anti-relationship. It's when you see someone, you've been seeing them for a couple of months, you met them online, you like each other, but maybe you don't like each other enough to actually commit to being in a relationship. And it's all the thought processes of, oh, does he like me? Do I like him? Why doesn't he like me? And then eventually you realise, oh, we just, this isn't right. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Sounds depressing. It's actually very funny. <laughs> So your friend was wrote it? It's just interesting. So um, Grace uh, had a blog. So she started off, she had this blog um, where she was just writing her um, ideas and thoughts about life and she'd gone through a breakup and, and this was a couple of years before. And um, Constance Hall, who's a blogger, um, she um, shared one of Grace's blogs and it kind of took off. And a lot of women were tagging their friends um, in this blog going, oh, my God, this reminds me of me. This reminds me of my 20s. Um, and Grace kind of went, I've got something here with this concept in this world. Um, and then she started developing, you know, a web series. Why a web series? When we went to web, it was just, you know, getting stuff off the ground a half hour is incredibly difficult, obviously. Um, whereas web felt far more accessible, um, easier, and we had a lot more creative control. And it was something we could do with the three of us and achieve. Um, so we went with web because obviously we had the audience, we could feed off the audience and it was something we could do now, today. Cool. We didn't have to wait. How did you go about then starting that? Like if someone listening to this going, well, great, I've got this rad idea, I've written a, a blog or a cooking blog or whatever it might be and we yeah. can go, how do you then go from that to making a web series? Like how did, like you got together, what was the next step? Well, Grace obviously had drawn you know, the blog was such a personal experience for her. You know, it came from her personal experiences. So the, the world and the characters and the situations were real. So for her to turn that into a script was quite easy because it was already someone in her head. It was just about putting on the page and, and obviously then creative license comes in and it's not verbatim as what happened. Um, so she just continued developing the world, fleshing it out, writing the scripts. We came on board. Her and I script edited together. So did a thorough, you know, pass of every episode and just – in terms of dramatically and narrative, sat down and went, what is this episode about? What's the purpose taking out of her experience and putting it in objectively? Like what story are we telling? Um, and then once we had the scripts locked off, we, we did it completely. We weren't funded, so we did it completely off our own backs. How did you know what you were meant to be doing? <sighs> well, or did you just wing it? Like, Well, no. So obviously, Grace, we've, we come from a range of experience. So Grace has worked in post-production for years. Um so she has an understanding of the back end. We've we all three of us, Beck, Grace, and I, met as actors at a at a acting school, which is hilarious. Years before, and Grace and I met on an ad. So it was we came from that world of understanding how sets work to a degree, um, and we'd all kind of been on Friends a lot of, especially in the comedy scene. People are constantly developing their own stuff, so you're able to get on to someone else's set and learn. Um, and Beck's got she worked for years at the ABC, and she's got you know a whole range of like producer skill set, which I don't have. Um, so we just brought a team together and, and went, cool, we're just going to do this. And each of us used the skills we had, pulled a crew together. You know, they came on and created a script schedule and a shooting schedule and we just did it. With the team that you built, like it's um, – were you very specific? It's like an all-female key team. We're sitting here on the eve of International Women's Day. <laughs> but is that was that intentional or is that – um, no, it wasn't. Um, Grace was the one who pulled originally pulled the team together 
Um, but she picked the right people. Like we had men on set. Um, Alex was our second camera operator man. Um, we had guys on set. Our soundies were guys. Like it was not female only. Um, but she just picked the right people for the job. So she picked the best people. And, and Emma, the cinematographer, she just loved loved her work and was like, I want you to shoot this. And she was the best person for the job. Yeah. Yep. And the, 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 the show – you know the key the the key story is around you know a, a young female female and, and her uh, journey. Did you in developing that for web? Is there anything you did in developing that content to to reach and engage with that that audience? Oh yeah, um, I think born from a blog, it was really fascinating because we had a direct connection to our key demographic. We could see who were responding to that content. And it was coming back to what you said earlier about, you know, how do you test something out? You can test stuff out with videos, but like Grace has tested her voice and what she has to say out with a blog and she got a really great response. Um, So we were able to pull data from who, who responded, who was tagging and, look at who that core audience was, which was a, you know, a modern female girls who had a ritual of, you know, getting around after work, drinking wine and talking about their lives with their friends. So we were able to go, what do these women want to see? And it it did, it influenced a lot of how we dressed our characters, how we set, you know, set our sets. Um, And also the actual theme and what we were looking at, this anti-relationship, that is very from our understanding, very common for women right now. You know, this kind of, I'm dating, where do we stand? You know, do I like him, don't I like him? Three-month whirlwind thing and then it ends. Yeah. Yeah. So it did. It gave us a lot of access to our audience. So you guys, you mentioned you didn't have funding. So um, in Australia, we're lucky enough to have funding bodies, state national funding bodies, but internationally that's quite rare as well. Yeah. So how, do you, like, how did you make that work without funding, without... <sighs> Self-funded credit cards? Yeah, credit cards, a lot of favours. A lot of people came on board to help. And also we didn't understand the scope of what we were creating at all. So we all came on and went, we're going to make this web series and um, we're going to release it on YouTube. And then through the process of it, because we were constantly striving for better results or a higher quality, the thing just became bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, And by the time we'd kind of finished, we'd realised we'd, you know, shot the feature film in 13 days and just went, how the hell did we do this on a shoestring budget? But none of us really knew what we were getting into. <laughs> Which is brilliant, right? Yeah. Like, and so you, you, know, you built this thing specifically for an online audience. In terms of then the story or story moments, did you, did you engineer it knowing that you wanted to put it online rather than on, a, on TV or, yeah. or, or another Well, um, no, we had no, we had no idea. So we did – so – we did always dream big. So we didn't um, – it was never just – obviously it was like we're making this web series. We can put it on YouTube where we were brainstorming how to access our audience, how to release it, what, what were the best options. Our producer, Beck, is phenomenal. That's kind of her jam is audience engagement and how to, you know, generate – I mean produce content for an audience. But um, we did always want to engage like do both TV and web. So we, we created a – series that can be cut into 10-minute eps or 20-minute for linear. And one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest things that made the show successful was because it was for an online audience, we had to be quite ruthless. Like we we have such a short attention span now. You've got three screens open, your phone's going, the dog runs past. Like in order to keep an audience engaged, you have to constantly – 
go does the second matter are we going to lose someone in this moment and if you feel like you could we'd always cut it because it was like we need to keep this just short and sharp which meant the bingeability of the series was just intoxicating because people would just go click 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 because it felt like the episodes were over in a second what what did you do to make those mo- did you like make those moments just in editing or did you go into when you're coming up with these ideas well no, no it we've was got to keep hitting people with a, a dopamine hit no, um, no, no, no. So it was, I think it comes back to, which is, you know, across any, you know, narrative, I mean, network, whatever, traditional or web, it comes down to truth. And when, during the scripting process, it was going every single scene being like, what is happening in the scene? Is it engaging? Is this truthful? Um, is it relatable? Because I guess that relatability is the thing that keeps you watching. As soon as someone does something bizarre, you kind of just go, oh, that's weird. And you check out. So it was our job in the scripting process to go, are we going to keep these, this audience engaged? And anything that felt like it was dead air or was there because, you know, the writer was, you know, going, this is a beautiful moment. If it did not serve the story, we'd cut. Um, and obviously then we got on set and with the actors, it was striving for truth. And um, it's like an awkward comedy. So it was about going, this has to be ridiculously truthful and the comedy has to come out of this truth of the moment. So we were striving for that again. And then once we got into the editing suite, we thought we'd been ruthless and then we went through a whole process again of watching stuff and going, cool, we don't need this moment, we don't need this moment, this moment's just dragging, we need to cut that move to here. So it was about going how do we get through, you know, how do we create this series with with as little fluff as possible but still has truth, still has heart and gets there. Um, Talk about that, like the the – I guess the, the focus and passion personally going into these projects, do you think that's something unique to the the screen industry, whether that's YouTube creator, um, TV, film, or, or creative industries? Like the, there's, there's that element of you, yourself has to go into it to, to yeah. be successful? Yeah. I mean, it does. It um, We, as we were talking about earlier, it is, we are, in order to create something that's dynamic and engaging, it all comes back to, you know, the human condition and, and kind of the universal truths of who we are and why we do the things we do. And that draw, we only can understand that through our experiences. So that does mean it costs you because you're having to dig into your own self to go, well, what do I understand about this scene or this situation and how can I relate? So how can I write it or direct it or act it in a way that people go, yeah, that's me because that's the goal. And especially with 600 bottles of wine, you know, it, that was like in a weird way a meme like a 90-minute meme, you know. (laughs) But when we looked back at our social media engagement, it was people tagging themselves and tagging their friends and going, oh, my God, this is my life. Oh, my God, this is me last weekend. And that's part of what makes the show so successful is we've been able to, you know, create this moment where women around the world have gone, yes, you know, that's me. And that requires a lot of you in order to achieve that. Um, Just want to talk about collaboration in that space. So um, I guess like how do the – like? A lot, of, a lot of YouTube creators generally work by themselves or in very, very small teams, but they work very, very closely with one or two people. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a core team there of, of three, three, but then to shoot, I'm assuming you had a lot more than yourselves on cameras and sound and light. Mm, uh, we, um, we used some students from Afters who were incredibly good at what they do um, who wanted to come on board. So we got a team of people who knew how to work together, who all trusted each other. It wasn't a massive team. I mean, Grace, Grace Beck and I across the board did 
a lot. I mean, a friend of mine and I did set and costume. So we set up before we shot and we did costumes after we finished shooting that day for the next day. Um, Grace handled all post-production, um, Beck produced, and then we had we shot two cameras uh, only because it was faster. Um, lighting, um, makeup, got to make the ladies look good. Uh, I think there were probably about seven people. Yeah. Yeah. So a typical YouTube channel, very big, like a massive team. Uh, but for, you know, traditional broadcast production, that's tiny. Yeah, that's tiny. Yeah. It's tiny. But it worked well. I think what was great was because we were such an, um, a small team and because Grace and I worked together in the scripts and, and Beck was across the scripts as well, obviously, producing it, we brought on Emma, who is our cinematographer, and her and I worked really closely, which meant that all of our key players were so clear on what we were trying to create that there was just never any question of what we were doing creatively. It was we were all together like Avatar, connected, you know, creating this vision, um, which I think is a huge part of why it's successful. I'm, I mean, I went on to edit with a editor, Kate. She was working full-time on a reality show. So, I mean, we underestimated the scope of work. So her and I ended up co-editing it. So the, the vision went from, you know, Grace, Webb's um, blog, we came on board, took that vision, continued it on, and then right through to editing. I was very hands-on physically editing it, and then Grace took it through post-production. So in terms of that creative vision, it was start to finish exactly what we had decided we were going to make. Yeah. How important is it that in building that team that, that that's a very closely shared vision, like you, the, the avatar the avatar <laughs> the avatar vision um, it's extremely well it's extremely important to to know the quality and and I think thematically what we were trying to achieve with the story and making sure that was so grounded in truth, but you also need to pick people who are going to challenge what you think is good because that's how you come up with exciting exciting shots, exciting performances, exciting edits. Is that someone going, oh, this is how you think you do it, this is how I do it, and having a bit of a creative back and forth to see what the best option is. So it's important to have the same vision, but then it's also being pushed to get the best result. And who who wins that argument? What's best for the show? We follow our hero, Grace, um, who's actually Claire in the show, Um very closely, you know, it's it's an experiential show where you are experiencing what she's going through. It's not something you sit back and watch. It's something that makes you feel sick because she's done something really stupid or, you know, you're watching a sex scene getting drawn into it. Um, so if someone, it's whoever had connected her journey and gone this, you know, really serves where we need her to be and where we needed to go, that option would always win. Yeah, Awesome. Yeah. So that that has to come back to that, that shared Passion, yeah. Yeah, the shared vision. Vision and yeah. going what's best for this show because yeah. something might be an interesting, I might go, well, that's really cool. You've cut between this shot and this shot and this show is this. And then Beck would be like, no, we need to stay on her face, you know. We need to see that going through her mind and I have to go, you're right. And as a, like, as a first-time director, was that easier to have that collaboration, that collaborative process because you were a first-time director and more open? Or Yeah, I mean it also just kind of – um, I mean, it was really funny because I was on set on like the second last day and I, I was very collaborative set on set as well because obviously I was aware that I was a first-time director and I, and I was working with people who had more experience with the camera or shots and understood things that, you know, 
I didn't necessarily understand. So I was very like, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Is this a better shot? Do you have a better shot? And on the second to last day, I said something and Emma turned to me and she goes, you know, like, you're the boss, right? And I was like, shit. (laughs) I just didn't think of it like that. It was so, you know, how do we create the best show we can? Do you have a better idea? Because if you do, let's do it. Um, But when it came down to performances, I was very, very, very specific on how I wanted certain things to go. Is there any... um pressure associated with that either from yourself or or perceived pressure that you felt as the director and and did you what you know if so was there how did you deal with that yeah I mean it was um it was interesting because Grace like Grace and I are friends very good friends so I was taking her baby and going I've got this you know and that was stressful but I think that's when that core team is so important because there wasn't a moment where Grace or Emma or Beck didn't believe in me so it was like no 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 I believe you're the right person for this and and that's one of the biggest things was at each point where one of us would second guess ourselves there'd always be another person going no you you know how to do this what do you think's right so I think it is about having the right people around you because you do you sit there and go I have no idea what I'm doing this is ridiculous <laughs> did you have moments like that yeah definitely and the team around you were the ones that helped you well, did you tell them any of those moments or did you keep oh, that to yourself? Oh, Grace, definitely, um, because obviously we're good friends and we'd speak a lot afterwards. Um, but at the end of the day, it always comes down to the story and always comes down to the script. And when you do get lost, it's just I just was refocused and went, you know, what's happening here? Because once you give over to what's happening in a scene, you know, how, how can you be stressed? You're just exploring it with the people there. So it becomes fun again. Awesome. So it was fun. Oh my god, it was so much fun! It was so much fun. I mean, one of the it was it was awesome. One of the um, sets, which is Negroni, um, Claire's you know sexy advertising man, uh, his apartment w- with the set we chose was you know barely dressed. So we overnight, the three of us ended up turning this room into like an IKEA bloody fit out, and it was just it's so rewarding. It's like playing dress ups and house and The Sims all in one. <laughs> so I loved it. <laughs> When I'm on the mic. Fred, let's take a quick break here and just give ourselves a big plug. We are super excited by this new initiative. We have created the Changer Creator College. The Creator College, quite simply, is a place where you can get a whole bunch of online courses, including our brand new Accelerate course for YouTube, designed to help emerging and new creators become even better on the world's biggest video platform. The reason we think it's pretty good is that it's not just our opinions, but the opinions of a bunch of really great creators and experts coming together to give you a very logical structured course damn right it is the college just for creators so check it out at changercollege.com that's c-h-a-n-g-e-r college.com as an insider (laughs) sure own it yeah um do you see that then opportunities for creators that are predominantly played in the online space crossing over into TV. The TV or or video on demand, sort of. Well, look at well, look at um. I mean, they've got the Skip Ahead. YouTube's doing Skip Ahead. ABC has a Superwog. I love Superwog. Superwog's just done a half hour. They were primarily online. I think because people are like we're watching the difference between our screens, our laptop screens, and online. There's not much difference. Like I can watch a network show on a streaming platform. It's it's it's. I don't think it, we've separated them anymore. Um, it just depends on 
what you want to achieve. So obviously a network, you know, you're being funded by a network, you have the, you're being mentored by people who've been in the industry for a long time, you know what I mean? It's a completely different process. Whereas online, if you're just focusing on accessing an audience and a wide range of audience, it's, you've just got to be educated and know how to do it. That's all. You know, like look at 600 bottles, like we've been able to access, we've gone through networks, but we've still been able to access a very wide variety of people, you know, around the world. Um, but you can do that with online. You cr- created a, a web series that is very specific to a, a, a very type, very specific female audience at a very specific time of their lives that, that they could really relate to. Mm-hmm. And that connection clearly worked very, very well. Um and typically broadcast content is for a much broader audience, hence, hence the name. Where do you see, th- uh, where do you see things have coming in the future for, for the content that's created and the audiences? And Well, I don't think, yes, it is broadcasters are a broad audience, but they're still looking at what their audience want to watch. You know, it's a wider range potentially, but they still are using the same, you know, gleaning the same insights that we were for 600 bottles of wine. Um, I think that that's no different, you know what I mean? It's just on a bigger scale and accessing more people and we've gone very niche and accessed, you know. I think that uh, with with so many streaming platforms coming up, I think that content is going to be, um, if you're making a high, you know, standard of content, you, you, sky's the limit on where it could end up and that's what 600 Bottles shows. It's like, yes, we made this web series and we made it very Aussie underdog, you know, like with the three of our bare hands. But the opportunity, if you have a universal theme, if you've, drilled down into what you're trying to say about that specific experience and it and it is relatable to an audience like you know you can have the same if not more success by going on multiple platforms around the world you know awesome just to go back on that with 600 we had complete creative control so which was amazing so with the endless favors and the long working hours and you know sitting there broke in your pajamas going (laughs) what am i going to eat tuna again no thanks um we also came out with this product and that was a a huge part of bear car producers push was we had our logo done we had all our creative shots done we had everything pre-packaged before we went to a distribution company so when we got there we literally gave them our package and went here is our pre-packaged show that we have fully finished gone through post locked and branded for you to sell and i think that's something that for thinking for people who are wanting to create a series it's a to do that, you've got complete control because once you go to a network, they want to brand it as they do. And all of the photos that they used um, across, you know, the BBC, Channel 10 were our creative shots that we shot before we had, you know, even been picked up by other networks. Right. But 600 Bottles of Wine as a web series, it hasn't ever been released as a web series. No. But it's been incredibly successful. So what happened to it? Well, we um, it's well, it's an interesting. We never we've never hit the web, but we were acquired and we premiered on BBC Three on TV. So with this transmedia model, where we were created in a web series, they were eight by ten minute eps, um, and we repurposed them into four twenty minute eps for TV. So we had our world premiere. Um, on BBC Three on a Sunday afternoon in a binge session. Awesome. Which was huge. Um, but even with the BBC, they ended up using one of our creative shots that are Beck, Grace and I. So the creative team were the 600 on their BBC iPlayer, <laughs> which is incredible. That's not that's never happened, you right. know. It wasn't hearing cast, it was hearing the creatives, which I think is really cool. That's very cool. Yeah. How the hell did you get it on BBC from an Aussie indie 
web series. Well, premiering, world premiering. On BBC Three. Yeah. Yeah. In the UK. Um, We, obviously, this is our amazing producer. Um, She, it was on web, so someone contacted her on LinkedIn. We were sharing a lot of information because we had developed our social media pages, our Instagram, so word word was getting out there. We did our own little Sydney, you know, um, screening premiere night where we, um, you know, set up a venue the same way as we set up the show and invited people to watch. So it was a bit of hype in our kind of local sphere um, about the show. Anyway, someone reached out on LinkedIn and just said, hi, you should get in contact with um, this distributor. And Beck did. And a couple of months later, they, they took us on. So we ended up getting distribution we hadn't released. And that was a big thing of Beck because obviously we were quite hungry to get our show out there. And Beck was really solid. She was like, I want to explore all avenues before we release it because once it's out, obviously it's out. Yeah. Like, let's see where we can take this, which was amazing. Um, obviously the uh, distribution company uh, went out, sold it, and then it ended up going to the BBC. And you guys got paid? Yeah. yeah. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was good. <laughs> yeah. And then it, that's not where it stopped though? No. So um, BBC uh, was where it premiered. Then we were – Bought by 10, which is um, Peach, 10 Peach now. We screen on 10 Peach as well as 10 Play. In Australia. In Australia. Um, TVNZ On Demand as well in New Zealand. Um, Virgin Australia uh, as well. And we've also got screenings on both BBC One and BBC Two to be completed. So we're still due to go on there. Awesome. Yeah. So what happened from there for you? So you've got this incredibly successful directorial debut mm-hmm. web series that bypassed the web and went to TV, TV internationally. Um, what next? So how did you feel? Like were you like high-fiving and oh, I've made it? I'm the- well, it's interesting because you're still in the – these moments of amazingness, obviously we, we did not get excited about the BBC because we wanted to know that it was 100% happening. That's so surreal. You know, BBC is just such a massive achievement – um, so we were still very much in the work of the show. Uh, there's always there's always a lot of back-end stuff to do. It wasn't a sign scene deliver, sweet, now go out there. We were still, you know, hustling hard, figuring out, we, you know, doing all of our media releases, figuring out how we wanted to um, position ourselves in the market. It was a lot of work. So those kind of successful moments, sure, we went out and had a lot of champagne and, you know, celebrated it. At 600 bottles of wine. Yeah, but it was only when... <laughs> Friends in the UK sent photos of them sitting at home watching it on BBC iPlay and seeing, you know, the, the hero shot of um, Grace sitting amongst all these other shows that you just go, that's bizarre, you know, that our show is sitting there next to these amazing major TV series. So it kind of hits you, but then you've just got to keep going. So Ainsley, yeah. it's on BBC, it's in Australia, it's in New Zealand, bought by broadcasters to air mm-hmm. on TV. What happened? What do you... What did that lead to? So it was acquired by the BBC and it was acquired by 10. And around the time that it was acquired by 10, a friend of mine was script producing a show playing for keeps. Um, her and I have another show with Sarah Bishop called Public Relations. And because Claire was tied up producing this amazing show, um, script producing it, I was given the amazing task of um, writing the pilot for our new show, Claire and I co-writing it. So it was three years in the making of developing this concept with someone. I wrote the pilot. She really loved it. Um, an opportunity came up on Playing for Keeps. 
Um, and Claire was like, I think you'd be great for the show. I'd really like you to come on and write. And around that time, because, you know, 10 had acquired 600 bottles of wine, the stars, you know, aligned in a way that I was familiar. And um, I got my first shot writing on a network show, an hour drama, through that process. How'd that feel? Like walking oh, into I, that process? It was it was fast, you know, and, and fun and exciting. And you you felt like you were meant to be there when you, the first day of walking in that room? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I – yeah. Well, I know Claire and I know Christine, so – and I love them both and I love I love the show. Um, so I read the scripts and just went, yeah, I've, I love this. I, I feel like I could write this. I feel like I could have a lot of fun in this show. So walking into that room, yes, I did feel – You're look, like, yeah, I've made – yeah, you're like – Walk no, in the door. I'm like, yeah, damn right, girl. Yeah. I'm here. Step aside. I think it was interesting as well because I was in I was in the the um, plot for my app when um, BBC was like premiering or the announcement came out about BBC, and I was walking in to go, cool, let's plot this episode. And everyone was like, oh my god, congratulations, make this big fuss. And I was just like, guys, we need to focus here. Like, we've got an episode <laughs> of like drama to write. And that's not a solo pursuit of writing by yourself, is it? That's. It's- there's writers' rooms. There's other producers involved. There's oh, yeah. other other creatives. Yeah, right? yeah. So there's um two script producers, Claire Phillips and Christine Bartlett. We had a script editor in there, a script coordinator in the room, and I went in and we plotted my episode yeah. as a team, and then went away and wrote it. I think you do kind of learn to trust, and you figure out what you're good at, and you figure out what you can do well. And I think you do end up settling in the same way we do with like riding a bike and stuff. You know, you start out and you're like, I don't know, and then you relax and you go, Well, yeah, I'm, I'm okay on a bike. Um, <laughs> you good bike rider? Yeah, I've, no, I'm actually I fractured my hand last year, so <laughs> I'm, I'm horrible bike rider. Great analogy. <laughs> um, maybe baking cakes. Yeah, baby cake. Yeah, yeah. Um, former chef. I don't. I think. I think what's interesting and my what I've learned about the industry is that it's incredibly humbling. And when you take your eye off of of the work of what you're doing and what you're trying to create, that's when anxiety and stuff can creep in. And am I good enough? Am I not? If you're just focusing on doing the best job you can with what's in front of you. Um, you're at least putting that energy into delivering the best thing you can. You know, I think whenever I've felt self-doubt, it's because I've taken my eye off. I've gone, am I good enough? Instead of going, is what I'm working on working? You know, is it the best it can be? How can I make this better? And I've made it about me and that's a bit egoic. Um, So I think it's about learning how to change the focus and go, whether or not I'm good enough, like – is, does that even matter? Like, is that up to me? It's like, no, it's like up to what I'm doing and what I can deliver. And if I'm delivering something to someone else's standard, then I've done my job, you know. My but job's not to walk around being like, I'm amazing. <laughs> that's, uh, that's other people's job. Yeah. I'll, I'll do that. I'll, yeah. Angel, you're, you're amazing. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen your text message every now and then. <laughs> Angel. So my mum does that. <laughs> and then what has followed since then? I have been lucky enough to write on a new crime show called My Life is Murder, which is – um filming at the moment as another 10 show and um we're going in we've just started writing on playing for keeps the second season so yeah it's just kind of rolled nicely so now you're part of the you know regular writing set of well i don't know i don't know if i'm part of the regular writing set i've been given amazing opportunities um so hopefully i become a regular (laughs) but yeah you're sort of coming to this industry very quickly, but also at a time of you know, um, a, a lot of change and turmoil, particularly with like gender matters mm-hmm. and you know Me Too and and all that. Have you have you noticed any things 
a difference in the industry as that has been happening or is, is it something that hasn't affected you at all? Or? Oh, no. Um, we got uh, – we received Gender Matters funding for our show public relations. Um, so we were part of that initiative, a successful part of that initiative, which was amazing. Um, but I think the changes I can see is, is you know, obviously females coming much more into the foreground in terms of how we write females and female leads um, – looking to bring in heads of department that are female, directors, writers, uh, bringing forward those voices and celebrating those voices. You know, the industry is definitely kind of really opening up. I mean, some of the initiatives that um, ABC especially are on, you know, the the initiatives they have to promote new writers and, and people with different voices and different experiences is allowing, you know, a whole range of people to be on screen, um, which I think is what we're getting to is it's, you know, just – not all of our experiences are the same. Um, I think for me, you know, I've got a, uh, a lot of my friends are older and they've, you know, they've fought this battle to, to allow this opportunity um, and we're, I'm one of the people who has been able to benefit from it. So it's about just continuing to open the doors and, and you know, allow for more, for more a variety of voices and you, diversity. You talk a lot about it's not about... It's not about you. It's not you personally. It's about the the it's work. About the work, yeah. And so, do you think then the the result, like the result, then is more like a, a more diverse range of of stories and content that potentially wasn't getting created before? Or yeah, absolutely. I think as we were talking about earlier about you you seeing yourself on screen, um, it's just. Yeah, it's allowing more people to see themselves on screen, which I think is very important. And it's also just, dif- as I said before, just different experiences. You, you're working a fair bit in in more traditional, inverted commas, broadcast content. Do you see yourself working across online content again, like getting back into that space? Or what the fu- what the future holds is how that's being the broadcast space is being impacted by the type of stories and the type of content that's being created online. Well, I think they. There's a, you know, the traditional, you know, networks and stuff are very open to it. They're not, they're not closed off to what people are producing. I mean, they're requiring six hundred is a prime example. They're requiring this content that's that is different and seeing how it works because obviously it's it's trial and error for them as well. They're also figuring out, you know, um, but with streaming platforms. So what's happening with you know like ten and ten play? Um, there's a crossover that's happening. And especially this younger generation, we we only consume content on those streaming platforms, and it's a completely different. You know, it's judged a completely different way. I can go on at twelve o'clock at night and watch a. So I think traditional networks are factoring in that it's it's changing the you know habits of people watching TV are not as they used to be. Ainsley, we end every episode asking our guests what are your three top tips. So I'd like to hear from you. What are your three top tips that creators from any walk of life can apply to their content and their creating? Okay. Mm. Um, I would say tip one would be uh, know why you want to do what you do. Um, you know, what what is your drive? What is it, whether it is to create relatable content, whether it is to make, you know, people to la- people laugh or, or um, to... I don't know, some people are like motivational speakers on Instagram at the moment. I follow a lot of them. If it, Know why you're in it and, and focus on 
that because that is the work. Don't focus on will this be good, is this successful, am I good enough because that's actually just taking time away from you refining your craft and your ability and that's what you're here to do. And I think if you've got to drive um, to achieve something, then just focus on that because that's the thing that's going to make you successful. Um, Second tip would be support each other. Find your, find your tribe, find the people who believe in you and you believe in them and back them because you need people around you. It's a creative industry. You need a brain to ba- bounce off. You need a freaking, you know, body to hug. Like you need support because it's, if you're in it for the long, long run, there's going to be ups and downs and, and you need people around you who, who love you and support you and believe in you. It's the most important thing. And third tip would be give yourself time. Don't rush. You know, when you're working on something, um, respect yourself enough to give yourself time to develop something. And because if you rush it, you'll miss things, you'll miss moments that, you know, could take something from really good to freaking incredible. It's like take the time and give yourself the time. I think early on we rush to because we think we need to get somewhere really quickly and you you don't have to get there fast. You just when you get there, just make sure what you've developed or what you've created is the best of what you can do. Angela, that's great advice. Angela Cluston, thank you so much for joining us on Creator Generation. You are a star. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Ainsley. This is not the end of the Creator Generation journey. Jump on social media on Insta and Twitter. You can follow us. Remember to share with the community on the Creator Generation app. And if you want to be a better creator, check out changeacollege.com. Until next time, see ya. Bye.